This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 76 with Ari Mizell. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, hello, all my Shop Talk Radio listeners. I am so glad to be back here with you guys. I am just playing now with my new Apogee duet or a recording device for this new podcast. So hopefully it brings a little bit more audio quality. It's allowing me to have more control over the playback as well as the quality of the audio input. So very exciting stuff. I'm really excited for 2016. I want to bring you guys more guests to help make your lives better from art, business, personal development, productivity, Anything I can find to help make your lives better. I was just over in Jamaica a couple of weeks ago with my buddy John Levy, who is a past podcast guest and has become a good friend of mine. He has a thing called the Influencers Dinner, and he curates amazing people into one room at once. So if you want to learn more about that and how he does it, check out his podcast at shoptalkradio.com slash EP37. I'm really grateful to have made some awesome new friends down there. And life is about the people that you meet and the things that you create with them. So I'm looking forward to some great collaborations down the road. So now let's jump into today's guest, which I'm excited to bring to you. The first guest of 2016 and his name is Ari Mizell. He's got a company called Less Doing and he focuses on automation and productivity, and he is a master. He has gotten his work day down to two hours, and we talk a lot about that in this podcast. We actually just recorded today in his apartment complex in Tribeca. Ari is a master of productivity. He has a few businesses all running simultaneously from real estate to life coaching to online business He teaches people how to optimize their lives from personally to business-wise to outsourcing and delegating everything that you can in your life. Also, learning how to delegate to virtual assistants, which anyone can do. Ari speaks all around the world and has many tips and tricks for us on today's episode. So we'll have everything linked up on the show notes here at shoptalkradio.com slash EP76. Go check it out. And without further ado, the one, the only, Ari Mizell. What is up, everyone? Today we've got the productivity master, Mr. Ari Mizell, on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thanks for making the time here. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, well, yeah, I'll tell you, this is my first uh, in-person podcast interview, so I'm excited. <laughs> really? I'm excited to have you on. I mean, it's it's. I enjoy doing them um, over like in person because you just get a, get a chance sure. to connect a little bit more. It's yeah, fun. absolutely. So you have a podcast. I do. The Less Doing Podcast. Yeah. Awesome. So let's just get I want to get a little bit more of your background so we can kind of dive in from there and, and talk a little bit more. So I'd love to hear you know, where you're from, what you've built here and, and how you've come to that. 
Sure. Uh, so I grew up in, in lower Manhattan my whole life in Soho and my parents, my father was art or is an art dealer. My mother has been an artist and a real estate broker for mm. my whole life. And I went to, I went to the United Nations school, so international school. And while I was there, I started my first company when I was 12, which was a website design company. And then a couple other tech companies before I graduated high school. And it was always sort of a situation of somebody basically offering to pay me for something I was good at <laughs> and, and it grew from there. And all of a sudden I had a company and when I went to college, I studied real estate and I got out and I went into construction. So I went to upstate New York to Binghamton to visit a friend of mine. And while I was there, he showed me these old buildings that looked just like Soho and it, like in the, 30 years ago. And they were $4 a square foot. There were these old, like awesome warehouses that uh, Binghamton was the cigar capital of the country at the turn of the century for whatever reason. And I had this vision that I could turn them into lofts. Mm. So I always loved the idea of building things. I liked construction going to Wharton business school uh, as an undergrad and studying real estate development, you know, at the most prestigious business school in the world, basically doesn't teach you anything about building a real building. Yeah. So basically the deal was that anybody that worked on the job had to teach me their trade. So I spent the next three years learning and doing every single construction trade imaginable, uh, as well as dealing with all the political zoning legal aspects of a real estate development. Wow. Yeah. And so I learned project management. I learned leadership. I learned, so much uh, about like just time management and everything. But at the same time I was working 20 hour days, I was eating like crap, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, drinking every night with my crew. I was, uh, and I was 20 when I started this project. And when I was 23, I basically my, my broke my body and I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Wow. So Crohn's being a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's, it's very, very painful. And it was like, a, in retrospect, I've been having symptoms since I was 14, but mm -hmm. as soon as I got diagnosed, it was like a, it was like I fell off a cliff and it got really bad, really fast. And the medicine that I was put on made it even worse, at least in the short term mm -hmm. initially. And I just got to this low point where I, I had come from 20 hours a day of work and, you know, just hard charging like all the time. And then I was basically this weak puddle and wow. I could barely do an hour of work a day if I, at best. Uh, and plus I was also in $3 million of debt personally at 23 because of this project. So the, the sort of like I, reaching this low point, realizing that I had this limited amount of time at my disposal, uh, sort of forced me to create this brand new system of productivity, hmm. which I would call less doing as in less doing hmm. more living. And since then I basically, I overcame my illness, replicated my results in dozens of other patients at this point and created this brand new way of looking at how we optimize, automate, and outsource everything in our lives and our mm. businesses. That's amazing. That's a story. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, there's so much stuff I want to unpack here, but uh, let's let's kind of jump back a little bit. Your first business was at age 12. Yes. Uh, a, what was that business? Website design. Website design. And it's funny because you think about that, it's like 21 years ago, right? Yeah. So we're talking, nine, what is that? Eight, um, I would have been, it would have been 94, right? Wow. So like... I knew HTML, like I was good at HTML, but there was like a <laughs> limit to what you could do with, with stuff. It's so funny when I think about now, because if I wanted to make a web page now, I mean, of course, I could go to Squarespace and I could click, uh, click and drag if I wanted to, but in terms of code, I, it's like I'm so far out of my league. It's the funniest thing. But at the time, this 12-year-old kid who's like making websites, it's like that's the person you go to when you want a website, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what gave you at age 12, like how did your parents bring you up to actually spark this this thing that you could do this at age 12 
Well, that's an interesting way to put it because what I would say is that um, there's a really awesome statistic from Nifty, which is the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship. And uh, they said at the time, they said that 75% of young entrepreneurs came from households where the mother was overbearing and the father was physically or emotionally absent. Hmm. And so my mother is a Jewish mother. Enough said there. And my father it was always kind of like emotionally absent. Always, he was always physically there. And, and they're both entrepreneurs. So I think that all of that sort of combined, I had this love and support for my mother and I had this sort of like nothing was good enough mm. to some extent from my dad. And I, I think that those sort of came together to create it. But at the same time, I, what happened was I made a webpage for my dad and for his art gallery. And it was like, I, I'm pretty sure it was like one of the first art galleries to have a website at the time. And it wasn't good per se, but uh, he showed it to a colleague of his and the guy's like, oh, like, he's like, would you do one for my business? I'll pay you 500 bucks. And that was a, it was a big deal. I was 12, you know, <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. And I, but I, I didn't think of it like I'm starting a business, you know? Yeah. And so he did it, but then five more people wanted me to do it. It's like, okay, well now, you know, I need a checking account and I need a bit <laughs> and uh, I need to form an LLC. And it's so funny thinking back because literally now I, I have, I think I've started like nine different companies. I probably have 15 or 16 LLCs. It's hilarious now to me. Like you literally go to legalzoom.com, you know, and in two days you have an LLC for $49. Back then it was like, you had to go to a lawyer and it was three grand and it took like two months and you had, to, wow. you know, it's just, it's just hilarious to me. The changes that have happened. How old are you? 37. Okay. So I'm 33. And like I, we, both of us though, you know, we're both an age where you remember not having a cell phone, right? Absolutely. You know, of course I'm not having an email, but we're also at that point where we know a lot of tech, like we're sitting here with a bunch of technology that you obviously understand. So I feel like it's like just an interesting thing for me to have seen those kinds of changes and, and what it means to have a business even. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here with a laptop and microphones portable in a conference room. Right. Exactly. And kids these days are growing up with iPhones in their hands at age zero. Exactly. Different, different way of, of coming up. Yeah. So what was the biggest lesson that your, their parents taught you then as a kid? My dad always had this expression, he still does, that sometimes the bargain is owning it. Meaning that when you're negotiating with somebody that uh, whether, whatever it's for, whether it's to make a deal or something or something you want to buy, uh, sometimes like the real bargain in it is actually just the ownership. And if you want it, you want it. And, yeah. and that was always a nice thing. Um, and then the other thing that he always said was that if there's, a, if there's a number on a problem, then it's not really a problem. Meaning like if it's not a health issue, which I ended up having to deal with. But mm. if it's something that there's a number, then you can at least figure out how to attack it. And that always got me in this mindset of looking at how I could break things down mm. into manageable steps and bite-sized sort of morsels. And that's, that's a big part of what I do now. Wow. So you're doing the real estate and less doing right now, or is it a, a combination? It's well, so I really do not like the real estate business at all. I love construction. Mm. I absolutely love building things and creating things from the ground up and seeing and touching something that I built, but everything that surrounds it, the bureaucracy, the, the planning stages and justifying why something should be designed the way it is. I hate that part of it. And, and so I really, really limit that aspect of it. We still do a lot of development out in the East end of Long Island and I manage all those projects, mm. but until we get to construction and right at this moment, we're not actively building something. I, I sort of take a very big backseat. So uh, yeah, basically it's a, it's a, it's a split, but less doing is really my life right now. Got it. Got it. So if bureaucracy and all that stuff was out the door, what would be the thing you dream of building? Well, it's funny cause I, so I like building things. It doesn't mean it has to be construction, right? Mm. It doesn't mean it has to be a physical building. Yeah. I, I really like 
building and improving things. And right now with less doing, what I'm essentially doing is, is improving companies. Mm. I, I have a process with my partner, Nick Sonnenberg now where we go in, it's called BPO business process optimization. And we'll go into a business and completely revolutionize the way that they communicate, manage projects, uh, automate processes that they're going through. And just the, the, the impact that we see is just, mm-hmm. just fascinating and I love it. And it's like a tinkering thing. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's part of the less doing is. Yeah. There's, there's different facets. I do coaching and speaking and consulting and we have a virtual assistant company and now we have this BPO sort of branch. Sounds, sounds like a, a very diverse <laughs> array of things. Yes. I love it. I love it. So, uh, when you were, you know, when you were diagnosed with, with Crohn's disease, what, what was that like when you, when you first, when they first broke the news to you? My diagnosis was so bad. It was, um, I, so basically, as I said, in retrospect, I've been having symptoms since I was like 14, but they were like once a year or every once every year. And then it started getting more frequent and more frequent. And, and the episodes would be like just enormous amounts of pain mm-hmm. in my abdomen that wouldn't go away. And I went to the hospital. The last time I went to the hospital before I was diagnosed, they were like, well, it might be appendicitis. We're not sure, but you seem okay now. So you should go see a GI specialist. So I go to the GI doctor and uh, he did some blood tests. He did some physical examination, which is always a little bit demeaning. And two days later, I got a voicemail saying, hi, it's Dr. So-and-so, and uh, we've confirmed you have Crohn's disease, and here are the eight medicines you're going to have to start taking, and, you know, call, <laughs> call, the, call my receptionist with any questions. <laughs> and I was like, it was, I was sitting on my couch, and I was 23, and I got this call, and I'm like, it was just like a gut punch. And at the time, the only thing I'd ever heard of Crohn's was uh, the McCreary or something, the guy, the drummer for Pearl Jam mm. as Crohn's. And I was at a concert where he had to like run off stage once. And that was the only thing I knew about it. And, but of course you Google any illness and it basically says you're going to die, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it was really bad. And, and so I went to another doctor who was recommended from a family friend and, and he's was amazing and confirmed the diagnosis, but not by voicemail. And also it was a little bit more sort of uh, reasonable about how he, he we decided to, to attack it. But very quickly mm-hmm. I was on all of those eight medicine medicines without with all the side effects that came with them wow that's heavy that's heavy yeah um, so and then you you uh you kind of overcame it through natural methods right well yeah so it, it's funny uh yes but the the drugs that i was taking were absolutely implemental or uh essential in yeah. my overcoming the illness there is no question mm. and that's why there's a, some confusion sometimes when when people talk to me that they think that i'm against western medicine and and I was a vegan, which I wasn't, but those medicines gave me the pause that I needed to be able to figure out how to fix things. Mm. And the problem with most chronic illness treatment in Western medicine, in my opinion, is that people get on a pill and they don't examine how they need to change their lives. And the truth is that no, no pill is going to overcome your body's lifestyle, yeah. basically. So the, the pill was, the, the medicines rather were a godsend for me to be able to take a step mm. back and say, okay, I have like just a bit of a break here and I can try to fix things myself now. Yeah. So no, the medicines were, were essential, but I got off my meds about four months after I began this process. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, I'm, you read the, bio, the, the biohacking book and I'm also learning about all this stuff from different people who have um, had autoimmune diseases and different things and are sh- shifting their lifestyle and it's, it's actually changing and healing yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it wouldn't have been sustainable otherwise. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is that something that is, is you inherit or is, in the, or is it something that you accrue through unhealthy? It's both really. So you have a genetic, most people have a genetic predisposition to Crohn's, but there's all sorts of interesting factors that play into it. So if you're born by C-section, you're not breastfed and you have a lot of antibiotic usage when you're young, it's going to mess up your gut bacteria. There's just no way around it. All of those things happen to me. I was not breastfed. I was born by C-section and I was like, I had strep throat and all sorts of things my whole like childhood. So I was on antibiotics all the time. And yeah. basically it just, it messes up your gut microbiota. And that is really what the big problem is because then what happens is that your immune system starts attacking the lining of your digestive tract basically. Yeah. So fixing the gut bacteria is a big thing and it's a lifelong journey in some ways. And so many things we do affect your gut bacteria from the foods we eat, supplements we take, um, alcohol, lifestyle, exercise, uh, mm -hmm. mood, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's in some ways it's a challenging nut to crack, but at the same time, there's some very big things that you can do that have a big impact. Yeah. So is, is uh, probiotics something that... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, so that's another thing. It's like in, the West, in Western society, or at least in America, you have a lot of Crohn's, and you don't see, you don't see Crohn's in non-industrialized nations. It doesn't exist. Mm. So, so places where people are in regular contact with farm animals and dirt and you know, probably feces, like you don't see Crohn's because the gut bacteria is there. Got the it. bad bacteria, the good bacteria, the balance is there. But when we get into this hyper-clean environment that we tend to live in in this mm. current day and age with Purell on every corner and all that stuff. It's very, very difficult for your body to basically have balance in the body in the microbiota. And then you get more susceptible to it. And the mm. interesting thing about that for me is I used to have eczema when I was younger, which is, you know, what eczema is it's a skin. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like basically it's a similar thing though. It's where your immune system is having an inappropriate response to your skin and you're getting this like chronic dry skin. It's very painful and itchy. And, one of the one of the things that was the biggest help for me is showering less, which is a weird thing for, for, to tell people. But like, yeah. I, I probably shower uh, every three days, realistically. Wow. And I don't smell. I don't think. I mean, uh, and we're <laughs> sitting right here with each other. But I mean, I, during the when it's yeah when it's during, when it's nice out, I'm gonna probably be wet every day because I'll be in the pool with the kids or whatever. But I, as far as like a shower, I, I once every three days. I I don't. Uh, I mean. I don't use like harsh soaps. I'm using like Dr. Bronner's and stuff. And my skin has never been better in my entire life because you're not washing away all the good bacteria that protects you. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. I, I, I'm a big shower fan. <laughs> well, and if you don't have a skin problem, it's fine. You know, but like, so I just had a, a, a client who was having like, like hospitalizations because of his eczema and wow. I basically had him shower less. And in like two weeks it's been transformational. It's crazy. So yeah, we need those gut bacteria and the, and the, all the bacteria that are on our body. <laughs> it sounds like it. So what, what would be your top three biohacks that you are into? Well, so the biggest thing I would say is sleep. Anything you can hack with sleep is good. So like right now, I, we have the three young kids. We've got one on the way. Like sleep is a very important thing mm -hmm. for us. Quantity, quantity is never something that we can count on. So we have to go with quality as much as we can. So uh, the biggest, the, the cheapest, easiest biohack that I love for everybody is wearing blue blocking sunglasses for about an hour before you go to bed. Mm. And what that does is it blocks the blue light that we get from our screens and from our phones and artificial lighting. And the blue light basically suppresses melatonin. So I love it because you can literally get a $5 pair of blue blocking sunglasses on mm. Amazon and you'll sleep better the first night you wear them. In addition, for anybody listening, if you have kids, if you wake up in the middle of the night, put the glasses on. 
go tend to the kids and then go back to sleep. It will reduce your sleep lag and you'll be much more likely to be able to get back into a sleep, like deep sleep very quickly. Wow. So that's one thing. Like I, we're in the middle of a, a sort of a, like a sleep training situation right now with my <laughs> kids because we've got the fourth one coming. We put all three boys in one room now and they're adjusting. So I was up like five times last night and I mean, I'm a little tired, but I feel fine because yeah. there's things you can do. Uh, the other thing with a bad night's sleep is what you really want to do is, and I love this because a lot of times when pe- when I get this question, people are like, what should you do if you have a really bad night's sleep? They think I'm just going to say, well, sleep more. No, you really have to just avoid the inflammation. That's the biggest thing. We want to mm-hmm. do anything you can to avoid the basically your brain swelling from the lack of sleep. So extra fish oil, cold showers, uh, turmeric or curcumin, which is the active ingredient, uh, anything that will help be anti-inflammatory. Something like cat's claw is a supplement that will also help with that. Uh, any any sort of nootropic like alpha brain, choline force, mm. uh, siltap, all those kinds of things which protect your brain will help with a bad night's sleep. So that's it. That's another one. And then it's not really a biohack per se, but fermented foods like most. Like what, what is your bath your background actually? I'm half Chinese, half German. Half, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to think. There's well. Oh yeah. So sauerkraut. So right. So I mean, mm. there's you know most cultures have some sort of outside of America have like fermented foods, you know, you have sauerkraut, you have, uh, in, in, in Japanese cultures, you have miso paste. I'm, I'm trying to think what would be in Chinese. Yeah. I guess soy sauce is fermented too. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. So there, there's all sorts of fermented things, but basically those are the things with lots of bacteria in them, lots of good things for your gut. So yeah. the more fermented foods you can put into your diet, the better kimchi, uh, sauerkraut, miso. <laughs> I went to Iceland for my, uh, for my honeymoon and they have this fermented oh, cool. shark thing. It's disgusting. No, it's the, <laughs> it's it's so bad. Yeah. It is so bad. Like you can't even be in. They they do it in these like out buildings that they're they're drying these huge sharks, and you can't even get within like a hundred feet of these buildings because it smells so bad. But basically, uh, fermented foods is the other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. So kombucha is a good thing. Okay, so kombucha is an interesting one. Oh, yeah. um, yes. So first of all, if you if you're buying kombucha at the store in a bottle, it is probably not really going to have any effect on your most commercial kombucha. It's like commercial yogurt. It really doesn't have an effective amount of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. If you're brewing it at home, you have to be very, very, very careful because as far as we know, kombucha basically produces like seven or eight antibiotic compounds that we can't even identify. So mm-hmm. you just have to be careful and make sure that it's a very sterile environment. But otherwise, yeah, it's good. I don't know. I don't personally think it's necessarily worth the risk involved. <laughs> but yeah. I, mean, I haven't really, I've just kind of like started tasting it a little bit. I don't mind it. I don't love it, but mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious. I don't about love that. it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned alpha brain. Like I've taken alpha brain a few times and it like, I get these crazy lucid dreams with them. And sometimes it's almost like so intense. Like I can't take alpha brain. You do it. If you take them at night, you mean? Uh, even if I take it in the morning, I'll just do wow. one in the morning. And then like, I just notice my... Uh, my dreams are very lucid and intense. Yeah, and that that's definitely one of the effects it can have. I've never had that. I, I, I'm one of those people who like never remembers my dreams, <laughs> uh, probably because I don't sleep very much. But yeah, Alpha Brain is, is good. There's a number of really fun nootropics. I tend to stack them together when I really need them. Yeah, I've been I've been taking a lot of like on it stuff. They they got a lot of different good supplements. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you do any sort of meditation or? So. Uh, not regularly. I, I'm a big believer in mindfulness meditation and there've been times where I have been really adamant about it twice a day, every day for a certain amount of time, but it's, 
it's challenging in my current life my right now to get it in in any way other than washing the dishes, which is legitimately a good way to get into mindfulness meditation. There's actually studies on how that's like a gateway to mindfulness meditation. Interesting. Yeah, well, because you're, you're it, there, first of all, there's like a clear beginning and end, right? You have a sink full of dishes. Yeah. You're accomplishing something. You know, you're going to clean it all up. It's all done at the end. And for the most part, you don't really have to focus on it, but you can't really be doing something else. Mm. So it's, it's interesting. So that's sort of my like my daily meditation for now. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, washing dishes tends to be somewhat therapeutic. Yeah. Point. It's weird, right? Absolutely. So now this biohacking stuff, how did that transition? I mean, that part of that is, is less doing, I'm sure. Cause you're hacking the way that your, your efficiency as a human. Yeah. Well, they're right. So the, the, basically the, the theory with me or the, the way I look at it is that wellness is the ninth fundamental of my system. It's the final one. So essentially as technologically efficient as I might be able to make you become, if, if you're not eating well, or you're not sleeping right, or you have too much stress, there's just a limit to how effective you're going to be. So then that's the point where we look at the, the physical meat, basically, and how can we upgrade the hardware? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And when you talk about sleep, you know, for me, that's a huge thing. And if I don't get enough sleep, I can't seem to function. Like all I can think about through the day is wanting to sleep. Yeah, sure. But I'm, you know, having to be productive as, as a, an entrepreneur and business owner, how do you attack that or how do you, how do you manage that? Like having not that much sleep or yeah, like if you, you know, you have kids, I, if you, you don't get enough sleep during the evening. Yeah. Well, and that's a frequent occurrence. I mean, so the, like I said, there was all that anti-inflammatory stuff. Good. I mean, <laughs> those are the days when I'll have three or four cups of coffee, uh, which is also not ideal. And I really try to shut that off to me. It, it's, there's a couple, there's two ways to approach it. If it's a really, really bad night's sleep, then I basically have to do anything I can just to get through the day. And that usually means just a lot of caffeine or a lot of uh, mitochondrial support of some sort. Like I like, there's this, this uh, capsule called Mitogen, which is made by Axon Labs, which goes very well with the nootropic, but it's basically like bulletproofs, unfair advantage, that kind of stuff. Anything I can do to get through the day, I have to stop that by two, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon so that I can then wind down. And then the real key at that point is to recover as effectively as I possibly can. Hmm. So at that point, we're talking about uh, like a cold shower to help with inflammation, uh, magnesium, either in salts in the bath or rubbing it on my skin with actual magnesium oil, mm. and then uh, other kinds of supplements that might, would help with sleep. Nothing pharmaceutical because that just sort of has like a rebound effect, but then like we're doing chamomile teas and, you know, all sorts of things to really like wind down as effectively as possible Yeah, and try to reset. That's if it's really bad. If it's just sort of bad, then it's just more than it. Like I'll just take a whole bunch of fish oil and other anti-inflammatory stuff like the turmeric. And that really does help me mm. honestly. And try not to stop moving. Like that's another thing. Like I, it, I just don't sit down at, yeah. like at all. You know, I, if I'm working, I'm standing up I'm with the kids. I'm standing up. I'm just, I just, if, if I stop moving, it's like a shark. You know, if I, if I sit down, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to pass out. So just keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're a fan of, you get up early on a normal basis. Yeah. You typically up at five 30. That's early. <laughs> Do you find you're more productive in the morning? No, I'm not. I can't be productive in the morning because the kids are around. So mm. it's impossible. Actually, the, the, the most productive time for me is between 10 and noon. That is my, my peak time, my official peak time. And I've tested that and, and, and that's when I do my best work. But yeah, the morning time is, I'm basically a short order cook and a chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you get to spend so much time with your family. That's yeah. Well, and that's how I've organized my life. I mean, I basically work right now. I pretty much work two hours a day. 
Not at bad. most. Thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it makes for some interesting challenges, but uh, that's effectively what I do. So how have you designed your life to be able to do this? Well, I, so I say, well, it's not, I was about to say I say no to a lot of stuff, but that's not true, actually. I don't really say no to a lot of things. I, I tend to push things out a little farther. So because I have such a restrictive schedule, I have podcast interviews that are scheduled like out to April, you know, two or three months in mm-hmm. advance, which is fine. It's great. If someone's willing to do that, I'm, it's wonderful. So that's one thing. Things sort of get like elongated, basically. But then I have all these processes in place for automating things. I can push things off to virtual assistants all the time. I have my own virtual assistant company, so that's very helpful, of course. But actually, and and to the extent that there are things where it doesn't necessarily make sense for me to pay them to do it because, you know, I could probably do it myself, but I have to pick and choose and it's worth it to that extent that I can then focus on what I need to and not have to worry about it. The other thing for me also with that is that I'm a big proponent of, I never want to, like push something off ever. If I can get it done or get started on getting it done, I'm going to do that immediately. So that's usually a virtual assistant. Sometimes there's other things in place, but I don't believe in a to-do list really. I believe in if, if I can be done now and I can delegate it, then start it now. If I can't deal with it now, then I need to defer it to a time that I can more effectively deal with it. And whether that's eight o'clock tonight or six weeks from now, mm. I can make that active decision to do that. So I'm really focused sort of in the moment, what I have to deal with right now. I never know my schedule until the day before. Uh, I, I don't even look usually and sometimes mm. not until the morning of and which is fine because if there's something I need to prepare for, I've scheduled for that as well. I live mm. and die by my schedule. Basically, if it's not in there, it didn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> and it, yeah. And it just, and it works. And I also like in, in the BPO business, I have a great partner, Nick, who we, we just were like a hive mind the way that we work, which is fantastic. And he's not married with kids. So that's helpful. Yeah. And, and yeah, but I mean, I, I've like, I, I, was traveling twice a month to do speaking engagements for the last year and a half. And now with the new baby coming, I'm not, I decided not to travel for the next year. And that's an, a restriction I placed on myself, obviously, but I have made up for it with other things. So I, I'm a big, big fan with everybody of creating artificial restrictions in some time, uh, mm. either real or artificial and basically working backwards to find the solution. So if you say, look, you can only work two hours a day or you can only work an hour a day. What would you do? Mm. What wouldn't you do? Yeah. It's a good thought experiment. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of restrictions? I mean, so you can put time limit on your day. What other type of artificial restrictions can you create? Physical ones. So you could say that uh, for, I mean, this is a, a trivial one, but like if you're in your closet, if you have a ton of shoes, you know, I'm only allowed to have this one shelf for shoes. So what does that mean? That all the others have to get thrown out, donated, recycled, whatever it might be. Same thing with like electronics, books, uh, clothing. But, and then digital space. So like on my computer, on my, uh, my MacBook, I have three programs, Chrome, Dropbox, and Skype. That mm. is it. Uh, and so I will never install anything beyond that because that's the rule I placed on myself. And part of the reason for that is that what that means is that if I wanted to, I could turn your laptop around right now, sign into Dropbox and Chrome, and basically be operating as if it's my computer mm. in three seconds. So it's just very fluid, very uh, bomb-proof in a way. But, it's, but the restriction is no other apps. So if I want to do something that requires me to record a podcast, for instance, whatever, I have to figure out ways to make that happen. And it's always kind of an interesting scavenger hunt for me. Oh, wow. So there's that digital space, physical space, uh, time, money. You know, I'm only going to spend $100 a week on groceries or whatever you decide. And then you just sort of figure out backwards on that. Because part of the problem that we have now in society is, and I know this sounds crazy, but it's too much freedom. And we allow for the space for us, mm. for us to be unproductive. Because if you have a non, uh, too many options and you don't have any options, people just end up not choosing and you yeah. don't move forward. And so 
I think there's a, it's very healthy to make those kinds of restrictions. Yeah. So it's kind of like you can approach your life in the same way. You can create, like, think of the life that you want and then work backwards to, to create that. In yeah, a absolutely. Sense. Mm-hmm. So what kind of things do you, so now moving into like outsourcing and, and different things, maybe, maybe even like an overscope of what kind of things do you outsource personally and business wise? So, uh, like everything, basically. I mean, uh, <laughs> from anything from paying a bill that doesn't get done automatically online to arranging, like, okay, I actually can think of for this week, the VAs had, uh, I needed to have a plumber come to my house. I needed to get a custom-made glass fire screen for our fireplace at our, at our house. Uh, returning something, dealing with customer service issues, ordering something that, that I couldn't find. Uh, reordering something that I couldn't find, uh, those kinds of things uh, for sure. And then on the, the professional level, my entire podcast is produced almost automatically, but there's some human involvement, so that's done with the VAs. Really? Sales pages. And, and right at the point now where there's enough information and there's enough sort of history that I have that I can say, we need a sales page for this workshop, and they know that they have to get a video for me, they have to do all sorts of different things and put it together. So that's one. But like also, every Wednesday, uh, this was a really move on my part i have to say for myself Mm. every wednesday i have a guy come here to this conference room for an hour and film me professionally he has the lights the the really nice camera and a microphone and in that hour i film all of my video content for the week because i have to do eight videos a week for various things i have two newsletters that i have to do uh, an online coaching group a training video for the vas a training video for my coaches anything like that so but it forces me he comes here every week i'm paying him it's on the books on the schedule rather and it, on the one hand, that means that any idea I have for a video, any question someone has, I just push it to Wednesday. Mm. And I know that I don't have to deal with it till then. But at the same time, I know that it's coming. So it's not like I, what, I, what would, used to happen before is my podcast comes out on a Wednesday and it takes you know two days to put it together. So like Monday night I'd, at 11 o'clock, I'd be like, oh, crap, I didn't record the podcast this week. I got to do it. Yeah. Now it's, I'm accountable to something else. So I've outsourced my accountability. Mm. I've also outsourced all the production. So he does it. At the end of it, gives me the card. While he's unpacking, it's uploading in Dropbox. Like that's the end of it. So those kinds of things that I don't want to be thinking about, shouldn't be thinking about. So I can focus on the five percent that only I can do and do better than anyone else. Wow, wow, <laughs> that's very good. And you're a big Evernote fan. It sounds like. Yeah, so I consider Evernote to be like my external brain, and I start, I, I save everything to Evernote, whether it's a podcast I liked, or a blog post, or a tweet or a PDF or a picture, like everything is in Evernote because it's all searchable, it's there, it's shareable. Mm. And uh, I just find that even if 95% of the stuff in there is junk, it's junk that's not in my head. I really do believe that ideas need flow. Our brains are really great at coming up with ideas. They're terrible at holding on to them. <laughs> so use it for what it's good for and don't hold on to ideas unless you want to pretend you're some memory champion, which you might be, but that's a pretty niche skill set to have. <laughs> right. And I'd rather be coming up with ideas. Yeah. So what kind of tips do you have for using Evernote? Because I mean, for me, like I started using it and I was kind of like, ah, then I, I lost it. I, I think there's an efficiency that you have to get up to, to be able to integrate it. To make Evernote valuable, you have to overuse it. That's the big thing mm-hmm. is that it, it doesn't matter. You have to, it does, if it's something interesting, save it. If you have an idea in your head, get it out of your head and put it in Evernote and just fill it with stuff. Because what happens once you get enough information and that's different for different people it might be 500 articles it might be a thousand it might be 20 in my case i have 17,000 items in my evernote right now and that means that anytime that i search on google because i have the plugin for chrome 
or anytime I save something in Evernote, it's going to pop up and it'll say, hey, Ari, there's three or four relevant notes in your Evernote. And that's where the like, that's where like the holy shit moments happen, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> I, it's like, whoa, you just saved this article and oh, a year ago you saw this YouTube video that's relevant to what you just saved. And six months ago, somebody tweeted you this article and three months ago you took a picture of an article in the New York Times and all of that is relevant to the thing you just saved. And it's like, oh my God. Like you could never neurologically do that. You mm. couldn't pull that kind of information. And now you've got this super relevant, super fascinating thing. And it makes for some of the best content I've ever produced. That's awesome. That's amazing. I'll have to check out, check that out a little bit more and get on my Evernote usage. So productivity tips. You have like five top productivity tips for like single entrepreneurs, like people that are, you know, running their own businesses, don't have a staff. That yeah, sure. So the first one is, well, okay. The first one will be, how do you get to inbox zero? That's a good one, right? Mm. Okay. So <laughs> the easiest way, this is, this is how you get to inbox zero very simply. Uh, first of all, you should be on Gmail. That's the one thing. Are you? Yeah, I'm good. on Gmail. Okay. Yeah. Gmail is the best email system there is for productivity. I have to say, uh, every now and then when I do a seminar, someone will have an AOL address and then just have to like leave the room. <laughs> So, and it's usually like shared with their spouse. That was the funniest oh, thing. Wow. That. Well, cause you know, well, I don't know if you remember this, but with AOL, you had to like pay by username. So a lot of people would just have like, you know, Joe and, and Sally, like Mitchell at AOL.com and you're, you never, <laughs> it was crazy. So that was obviously before sexting. So you have to, basically, you don't need to have all sorts of folders. You need to have one folder in addition to your inbox. And that is the optional folder. And among other things, you should have a filter that says that any email that has the word unsubscribe in it should skip the inbox and go right into your optional folder. Mm. Because what you're doing then is you're separating a lot of the, the wheat from the chaff essentially. And you're, you're saying that the typical inbox is important email, spam, important email, marketing email, important email, newsletter, 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 important. And you're doing this back and forth switching all the time, which is really bad for your brain and very tiring. Mm. So you get that out of the way. 60% of those emails are going to go into your optional folder. And when you go into the optional folder, you are now in optional mode. Very, very different thing. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that's really helpful. And then when you're processing them, there's only three ways to process an email, three Ds. Delete it because it doesn't require a response or is not relevant or a spam. Do it because you can do it right now. And if you can do it right now, do it right the fuck now because mm. you're not going to magically have three minutes later. And that could include delegating it. If you can't delete it, you can't do it, then you need to defer it to a later time. So this is tip two. Mm. If you want to defer things, use followup.cc. Or if you want to do something for free, followupzen.com. And bo they both function the same way. Essentially, you send an email to any time period you want at followup.cc. So you could say 8 p.m. at followup.cc or one week at followup.cc or Monday 9 p.m. at followup.cc. And you forward that email. And when that time period comes around, it will come back into your inbox at the top. Huh. And it will now include a snooze functionality with it. So if you were wrong about that time being the right time, you can snooze it and hopefully get right on target. It's fantastic. And you can also put that in the BCC field when you send an email to someone else. So if you don't want to ever forget to follow up with someone, there you go. And a lot of the stress that people feel about email is that, did they get back to me? Did I get back to them? Like it's this nebulous thing. We don't have a physical thing for email. Yeah. So it's very hard for our brains to keep track of and it's very stressful. This takes care of that. So that's the second one is use followup.cc. The third one is explore a website called ifttt.com, which stands for if this, then that. It's an automation platform. It's completely free, totally super easy, walks you through the steps of basically if this happens here, do this over here. And there, it's plugged into 200 different web services. So mm. if somebody buys something from you on PayPal, automatically add them to a new list on MailChimp. If somebody 
uh, tweets about your brand, add that to a Google Doc spreadsheet. Hmm. Uh, if you post a new blog, if you post a picture on Instagram, also save that picture and post it on Facebook. You know, like that kind of stuff. The things that take you 30 to 45 seconds to do, but you're doing them dozens or hundreds of times a day, and sometimes you forget to do them, this takes that out of your way. Gotcha. Uh, then there's something called the Pomodoro Technique, which is a, it's basically the concept is that we work better in sprints than we do in marathons. And you're, it's important for you to work, work, work really intensely and then take a break. Mm. And the typical Pomodoro is 25 minutes of work for five minutes of rest. And you do that multiple times a day and it's fantastic. But the key with me with Pomodoro is you have to play around with the ratios. Mm. So for me, I don't necessarily have to do, like I'm not doing a lot of long writing right now. So for me, a Pomodoro would more be like 15 minutes than five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like interval training with your body. Right. You know, so you're doing intense, intense, intense work and then you're taking a break. And then the fifth one is, and I'm sort of on the fence here, but there's a, a, a website called brain.fm. So it, it is AI-generated music that specifically is uh, there to encourage your brain to produce particular brainwaves. So it can make you more productive, it can make you sleep better, and it can make you relax. And the reason I say I'm on the fence is that I, I'm sort of back and forth between whether that or the pop fitness channel on Pandora is more effective <laughs> for me. But it, I've seen really cool results with Brain.fm. So it's, it's a, a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Basically, it's getting your brain to mimic outside brainwaves so that you get into a particular state. Interesting. Yeah. I would, I've been using, uh, I think it's brainwaves. It's a, and it's an app mm -hmm. and you can set it on like different focus and alert and focused or whatever. And I feel like it, it works pretty well. Yeah. It, it, it really can. Yeah. Those are great. So now how did you come out? Like what was, let's move into like less doing. How did that, where did that come from? Like what was the spark for that and how did you create that? So it was this this sort of confluence of me being so sick and having limited time and realizing that stress was a big part of my life and my illness. So then it was this thing of less doing, more living. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able. To, I have to do less and live more. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I, I it started with that the first fundamental, which is the eighty twenty rule, which is really in my case is just about identifying the processes that we're going through on a regular basis, identifying them, uh, breaking them down, and making them more efficient. And then it grew to these nine fundamentals from that. And I started teaching classes here in New York in person. And then my book got picked up basically. And that it's been mm. a wild ride since then. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're creating a whole, it's a whole thing around it's, it's speaking, it's, it's lesson, it's like online coaching and yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, yeah, it became an online program. And then I've was, I've been sp spoken all over the world now in Europe and, and I've uh, got stuff going on in Asia and, and in South America and it's, gone really well the book's been picked up in five languages and now i'm doing work with some really really big organizations to, to revamp the way they do things so cool yeah it's fun <laughs> that's awesome and you in terms of um, virtual assistants what kind of things can do you need virtual assistants for versus somebody who's uh, like a personal assistant working in like physically in your in your space so i really think that everybody at some point needs to work with a virtual assistant because it's an it's an educational experience for you in terms of how you effectively communicate and delegate your needs mm. uh, it's very an it's a very interesting restriction if you you know you can only email with somebody or you can only even if you only talk to them on the phone but if you're not physically there and you can't just like kind of lean out the door and say hey so and so like can you help me with this it's a different parameter and you have to communicate better the other thing is that i know this for a fact that a lot of people feel some people don't care at all, but a lot of people feel really badly about 
delegating a shitty task to somebody that's in person with them. Mm. Uh, and I'll give you an example. The very first time I ever used a virtual assistant, my first book, actually, it wasn't less doing. My very first book was about, uh, it was an architecture book on green building materials because that was my specialty when I was building. And that came out, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I, I had done all the research. It was like a two-year process to the book. And there were 180 different products in the book, materials. And it was like a month before we're supposed to sign off on the final manuscript. And they're like, okay, well, now you just have to go back and update all the contact information for these 180 companies. And I was like, mm -hmm. there's no way I'm doing that. I was also sick at the time. So I said, uh, I got to look for a way to do this. So I looked online, and that was when I found my first virtual assistant company, which is an Indian virtual assistant company. And I gave them the task, and they had it done in like 12 hours. Oh, wow. You know, and it was like, holy cow, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, and this is, this is what I want to do. Like, I, I need to, like, get into this more. But uh, effectively, like, that was, that was my first foray into that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm looking into the next step is for me outsource. I have, I have. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nick. But my point about that, oh, sorry, sorry, was I totally forgot. The point of that, that was that I would feel really just like a jerk if I walked over to somebody who's like, I'm sorry, but I need you to like call these 180 companies, you know, and <laughs> right. And you just would see the look on their face and be like, Hey, you know, I'll get right on it. So like, it's that kind of thing too. And, and, and the thing is, it's not to say that the virtual assistants like are, you know, of a different like class, but it's just, they're in a computer, they're in a computer, they're in their own work environment for the most part. A lot of them, most of them nowadays work from home. Yeah. So it's not the same kind of thing. Like if they want to sit in their pajamas at two in the morning, eating Chinese food and doing your, you know, the, this crappy task, it's a very, very different thing than selling someone who's sitting in an office, yeah. barely having their first coffee, like you have to do this <laughs> awful thing. Exactly. All right. So, oh, no worries. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm just saying, cause like I'm in a space right now where I'm looking, I have, I have one in office assistant. I had two and, and they're leaving. I'm, I'm looking for a new one. So it's like, and now I'm kind of dissecting how can I, what should I delegate virtually and what should I delegate? There's a lot of stuff that I actually need somebody in the office for. It's sure. like processing photos and there's physical handoffs and different yeah. things. But what's the benefit? Uh, I guess is it what's the cost effectiveness of, of a virtual assistant? Well, so this is the thing I would say for what you just gave is you know you're talking about like a real photo assistant, right? And there's probably benefits to that person knowing specific things about photos and processing, right? Mm -hmm. So at the like that person shouldn't necessarily be ordering lunch or calling clients or doing that kind of stuff because it's just really not what their core abilities are. So yeah. a lot of that stuff can be push off to someone else. Uh, I mean, you can get virtual assistants for as little as $3 an hour, but you get what you pay for. They're not going to be very good. <laughs> uh, the world of outsourcing is constantly changing and shifting. So five years ago, if you wanted a virtual assistant, hands down, no question, you went to India. There was tons of companies. There's uh, Task Every Day, Get Friday, uh, Ask Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I know. But something changed and the Indian market for virtual assistants just went absolutely down the tubes. And, and I have no problem saying that there are really good things to outsource to India right now, like SEO work, for example, and some other stuff, customer service to an extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but virtual assistants is not one of them. If you want to go out of country for a virtual assistant, now you go to the Philippines. That's where you go. Maybe Costa Rica, but really the Philippines and their English is perfect. They understand Western culture. It's great. They're not that much cheaper than American labor. And the only issue there I find is that when you're dealing with someone whose native language is Tagalog, which is very highly facial expression oriented, when you're communicating with them by a text or email, they tend to take things very literally. So it's just, it's just a nuance. It's something to know. You know? Yeah. 
And it's weird when it comes out that way. So you can get American virtual assistants now. And in our case, the ours are $40 an hour, which is not cheap. It's expensive by, by terms of virtual assistants. But ours can do anything, basically. So whether it's mm. ordering dinner or making a reservation or building an entire sales funnel or producing a podcast, like our VAs are, are trained to do all that stuff. Oh, interesting. And create a process out of it that is less doing compliant, basically. So it really runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 you now can get very specific with hyper niche for virtual like quote unquote virtual assistants. There's a, an app called Operator that I use that is for purchasing things. So you want to buy uh, a toy for kids or a, a, an airplane ticket or a movie poster like you tell them what you want and they find it and they buy it for you and send it. It's free. Um, and that's like it's a great service. It's a great app and it works really well. My virtual assistants could do that. It would cost a little more money of course and i personally i don't use my own vas to buy things i just use operator because it's great it's just a quick app i can do it any time of day and it's not using their skill set for something that i don't need to mm. gotcha gotcha love it man love yeah. it <laughs> so what are you what are you most passionate about right now and excited about this year so this virtual assistant company is really getting the gateway to a much bigger thing which is the bpo stuff and 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 basically five months ago uh, one of the biggest virtual assistant companies in America, Zirtual, basically went out of business overnight. Mm. And then they got re- they bought and reopened a day later, which was terrible. And it, it was like an implosion in terms of the virtual assistant market in America. And a day later, I'm having dinner with a friend of mine, with Nick, and I, we're talking about this. And, and he's like, why don't you just start your own virtual assistant company? You know the market so well. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't have any interest in that. And he's like, well, what if we do it together? And I said, okay. <laughs> 36 hours later, we had built a company with free off-the-shelf tools, Four days later, we launched. We were profitable and scalable from day one and have grown like explosively since then. And it's just been a wild ride. And what we realized very quickly now is that the virtual assistants are great, but it's a very small part of the bigger puzzle, which is that business optimization. So now mm. we can go into extremely large organizations and we can look at how they communicate, how they manage projects and tasks and how they automate processes. And we can do that for them implement it and then plug in our people as needed. So we essentially act as like a on-demand COO mm. for some very big organizations. And wow. I, I, I mean, I can't say any names, but they're, you would recognize all of them. And we're, we've just been very fortunate, honestly. That's great. So how does one get started in, in implementing a, a VO in, into their, their business? I'm sure there's a learning curve to even learn. There absolutely is, you know, and that's the big thing that we're tackling right now is that a lot of times we find that when a when an assistant makes a mistake. And I knew this for a long time before I had a virtual assistant company, but if you're dealing with a competent outsourcer, which, you know, that's debatable. Sometimes maybe you decide that somebody's not competent, but if you're dealing with somebody who's competent and they make a mistake, nine out of 10 times it's your fault because you didn't effectively communicate what you needed done. Mm. This is the truth. And so there's a lot of client education that has to take part on, take place on, on our part, which is good because I actually have less doing certified coaches as well. I have 10 coaches right now that work for me and can oh, help with that. So it's, it's really a double pronged sort of approach where we're servicing on one end, but we're also trying to help the clients not only delegate more effectively, but realize what they can delegate. Yeah. And then the higher level is getting them to see what we can actually automate because as much as I outsource, I am constantly trying to avoid it. <laughs> That makes sense. That makes sense. It's it's hard to maintain the control or let, let go of the control too. Sometimes. Well, it's also, there's just humans fail. There will always be a human element that does not work. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but computers don't. Yeah. 
automation. That's right. How about your iPhone apps? What's what's on your what's your favorite iPhone apps? So, you, well, you're gonna laugh at this. We're talking about restrictions before, right? So, I mean, you have to describe those if you want. But wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I essentially so I have an essential folder and an optional folder. The essential folder has 12 apps in it. So basically, my company runs on Slack and Trello, and that's that. I mean, I've so this is a fun experiment for me. I have an I found an old iPod Touch, and first of all, if you have an iPhone six and then you hold an iPod Touch, it's like you're holding a business card. <laughs> uh, but I I use that half the time now, and all I have on that I don't have email, I don't have texting, I just have Slack and Trello. It's great. Like, and that I can just, I can do so much with just that. <laughs> I also do almost everything from my phone. I use my lap. I touch my laptop probably four hours a week. Oh, wow. So, and, which is another restriction because I need to be able to do it from my phone because what that means is I can do it if I'm traveling, but I can also do it if I'm pushing the stroller with the twins in it mm. and I need to get something done in two minutes. So uh, anyway, so there, I got Slack, Trello, uh, Feedly is where I, I read just tons of blog posts and stuff every day. Evernote, as we talked about, if this, then that is on there. And Dropbox, of course. Ship is one of my favorite apps. Oh. No, sh- no ship? No. So ship, S-H-Y-P, it basically you take a picture of something and 10 or 15 minutes later a bike messenger shows up, takes it, they box it in a custom box and ship it for you. Oh, Amazing. Wow. Um, so if you're doing product returns or anything, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple others, but those are the main ones. Oh, wow. So Trello and Slack are, Trello what do they Slack do? Are the, Slack is a communication tool for Teams. Okay. And Trello is a project management tool. So, and those are two of the main tools that we implement in most of the companies we end up working with. And it, uh, it's just awesome. Got it. Got it. How much social media do you do then? I don't do any really. And I don't have someone who does it for me per se. Uh, basically what I'm posting on Twitter and Facebook and stuff is stuff that I'm reading that I find interesting. So mm. if I read something at Feedly in an article that I find interesting, I will save it. And because of IFTTT, that puts it into my Evernote. It also puts it into Buffer, which then goes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Group, uh, uh, Google+, Plus, all that stuff. And then I have a daily digest from IFTTT. So once a day, I get an email that shows me all of the people who've tweeted me. Mm. And I will go in once a day and respond to any of them if I need to. But I'm, that's, that's pretty much, yeah. <laughs> automated i like yeah. it. i love it this is this is so fascinating because <laughs> there's so many little hacks like yes. and that are so useful i'm always chasing that like tenth of a percent I, I, I will i will spend an hour to save three seconds like for the rest of my life basically it's like i i, I love that pursuit yeah. and for other people yeah i mean time is time is money and and you know you want to i want to have the most balanced life that i can time is money and time is limited yeah Absolutely. Well, one last question before we jet off here. And I like to ask this question of all my guests because, you know, I'm, it's in the creative world. What does live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration? Yeah. Well, okay. So I don't believe in goal setting, mm-hmm. which is always a funny thing when I tell people that. They think I'm like a heretic. I believe in this concept of Kaizen, which is a Japanese amalgamation of two words, which basically means constant change for the good. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that if I go to sleep tonight and I am better in any way today than I was yesterday, whether I'm a better business person, father, husband, friend, community Mm -hmm. member, then I am successful. Mm. And I really do believe that. And and at the same time, I think that if I'm constantly trying to improve everything in my life, I will far exceed any goal that I may have set for myself at any point in the future. Mm. So 
that's inspiring to me when I basically can improve something. And that takes very, very interesting shapes. Uh, last week, for the first time in my life, I've, I, I learned how to pick a lock. And it was, it was like <laughs> one of the most exciting things ever. Literally since I was in high school, I've been wanting to get this thing. It's a padlock that's made of clear lucite so you can see all the tumblers inside. So it's a practice lock for learning how to lockpick. And it was always, it was like a $60 thing when I was younger and it, I could never justify it. I was like, I don't need this again. <laughs> and I found it on wish.com a couple of weeks ago. It was $6. I was like, you know what? I deserve this. So it showed up and it's a, it's a, it's a big chunky padlock, real padlock with six lockpicks, no instructions. I went on YouTube before us, watched one video and in about five minutes, I was able to open the lock in like 20 seconds. And about 20 minutes later, I was able to do it with my eyes closed. No and then kidding. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I really think that by learning new things, experiencing new things, that's how you become creative. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ari. And uh, you. I, I acknowledge you just for the difference that you're making in this world and, and helping people. And I, I think that's so cool. Thank you so much. So where can people find you and learn more about what you're up to and, and dive in? Uh, everything is at lessdoing.com. The, the blog, the podcast, the uh the virtual assistants, the BPO stuff, everything is there. Amazing. And uh, I'd love to share it with the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know yeah. it's precious. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Ari Mizell. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And I do this show for you guys. So if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you can leave us a good review over on iTunes share the episode on Facebook or Twitter, shoptalkradio.com slash EP76. And with that, go out, create an amazing week, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.